Hi there. Thank you for tuning in to Stories That Made Us. We've got a fantastic tale from North America this week. A myth of the Sioux people of Midwest United States. The Sioux Nation is one of the largest Native American tribes, consisting of the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota tribes. They traditionally have lived in Minnesota, Iowa, and Wisconsin, but were forced to migrate west to the Great Plains by the French and the Ojibwe tribes. The Sioux of old were a nomadic people who roamed the Great Plains, following buffalo herds throughout the American Midwest, buffaloes being an important part of their culture, responsible for food, clothing, houses or teepees, and many a jewelries. The people believe in Wakantanka, the Great Spirit. This represents the power or the sacredness that resides in everything, both living and in inanimate. Storytelling, as with almost all Native American tribes, is an important part of the Sioux culture. Tales, indeed legends, were passed down from one generation to another as tales told around the bonfire. This story is one such tale, recorded in the early 20th century by Mrs. Mary McLaughlin, and in her own words, told in the lodges and at the campfires of the past, and by the firesides of the Dakotas, these tales are the thoughts of a grave and sincere people, living in intimate contact and friendship with the big outdoors that we call nature, a race that is humble but honest and fair, a sincere and gravely thoughtful people willing to believe that there may be, in even everyday things of life, something not yet fully understood, a race that can, without any loss of native dignity, gravely consider the simplest things, seeking to fathom their meaning and to learn their lessons. So then, Let's begin with the Sioux myth, that is the story of the two young friends. There were once in a very large camp two little boys who were fast friends. One of the boys, Chaske, meaning firstborn, was the son of a very rich family and was always dressed in the finest of clothes. The other boy, Hake, meaning last born, was an orphan and lived with his old grandmother who was very destitute and consequently couldn't dress the boy in fine garments. So poorly was the boy dressed that the boys who had good clothes always tormented him and would not play in his company. Chaske of firstborn did not look at the clothes of any boy whom he chose as a friend but mingled with all boys regardless of how they were clad, and would study their dispositions. The well-dressed he found were vain and conceited. The fairly well-dressed he found selfish and spiteful. The poorly clad, on the other hand, he found to be generous and truthful, and from all of them he chose Hake for his coda, or friend. As Chaske was the son of the leading war chief, 
He was very much sought after by the rest of the boys, each one trying to gain the honor of being chosen for the friend and companion of the great chief's son. But, as the author had said, Chaske carefully studied them all, and finally chose the orphan Hake. It was indeed a lucky day for Hake when he was chosen for the friend and companion of Chaske. The orphan boy was taken to the lodge of his friend's parents and dressed up in fine clothes and moccasins. This is because in many Native American tribes, when the sons claim anyone as their friends, the friend thus chosen is adopted into the family as their own son. Anyway, Chaske and Hake were, in course of time, inseparable. Where one was seen, the other was not far away. They played, hunted, trapped, ate and slept together. They would spend most of the long summer days hunting in the forest. Time went on and these two fast friends grew up to be fine specimen of their tribe. When they came of age to select a sweetheart, they would go together to woo girls, each helping the other to win the affection of one of his choice. Chaske loved a girl who was the daughter of an old medicine man. She was very much courted by the young men of the tribe, and many a horse loaded with robes and fine porcupine work was tied at the medicine man's teepee in offering for the hand of his beautiful daughter. But the horses, laden as when tied there, were turned loose, signifying that the offer was not accepted. The girl's choice, however, was Chaske's friend Hake. Although he had never proposed to her for himself, he had always used honeyed words to her and was always loud in his praises for his friend Chaske. One night the two friends had been to see the girl, and on their return Chaske was very quiet, having nothing to say and seemingly in deep study. Always of a bright, jolly and amiable disposition, his silence and moody spell grieved his friend very much and he finally spoke to Chaske, saying, Koda, friend, what has come over you? You, who were always so jolly and full of fun. Your silence makes me grieve for you, and I do not know what you are feeling so downhearted about. Has the girl said anything to you to make you feel thus? Wait, friend, said Chaske, until morning and then I will know how to answer your inquiry. Do not ask me anything more tonight, as my heart is having a great battle with my brain. Hake bothered his friend no more that night, but he could not sleep. He kept wondering what pretty feather that the girl whom his friend loved could have said to Chaske to bring such a change over him. Hake never suspected that he himself was the cause of his friend's sorrow. The next morning after they had eaten breakfast, Chaske proposed that they should go out on the prairies 
and see if they would have the good luck to kill an antelope. Hake went out and got the band of horses, of which there were over a hundred. They selected the fleetest two in the herd and, taking their bows and arrows, mounted and rode away towards the south. Hake was overjoyed to note the change in his friend. His old-time happiness had returned. They rode out for about five miles, and scaring up a drove of antelope, they started in hot pursuit, and as their horses were very fleet of foot, soon caught up to the drove, and each singling out his choice quickly, dispatched the antelopes with arrows. They could easily have killed more of the antelope, but did not want to kill them just for sport, but for food, and knowing that they had now all that their horses could pack home, they dismounted and proceeded to dress their kill. After each had finished packing the kill on his horse, Chaske said, Let us sit down and have a smoke before we start back. Besides, I have something to tell you which I can tell better sitting than I can riding along. Hake came and sat down opposite his friend, and while they spoke, Chaske said, My friend, we've been together for the last twenty years, and I have yet the first time to deceive you in any way, and I know I can truthfully say the same of you. Never have I known you to deceive me, nor tell me an untruth. I have no brothers or sisters. The only brother's love I know is yours. The only sister's love I know will be pretty feathers. For brother, last night she told me she loved none but you, and would marry you and you alone. So brother, I'm going to take my antelope to my sister-in-law's tent and deposit it at her door. Then she'll know that her wish will be fulfilled. I thought at first that you had been playing traitor to me, and had been proposing to her for yourself. But when she explained it all to me and begged me to intercede for her to you, then I knew that I had judged you wrongfully. So now, brother, Take the flower of the nation for your wife, and I will be content to continue through life a lonely bachelor, as never again can I give any woman the place which Pretty Feather had in my heart. Their pipes being smoked out, they mounted their ponies, and Chaske started up in a clear, deep voice the beautiful love song of Pretty Feather and his friend Hake. Such is the love between two friends, who claim to be as brothers among this Native American tribe. Chaske gave up his love of a beautiful woman for a man, who was in fact no relation to him. Hake then said, I will do as you say, my friend, but before I can marry the medicine man's daughter, I will have to go on the warpath and do some brave deeds and will start in ten days. Then they rode towards home, planning which direction they would travel, and as it was to be their first experience on the warpath, 
they would seek advice from the old warriors of the tribe. On their arrival at the village, Hake took his kill to his own tent, while Chaske took his to the tent of the medicine man, and deposited it at the door and rode off towards home. The mother of Pretty Feather did not know whether to take the offering or not, but Pretty Feather, seeing by this offering that her most cherished wish was to be granted, told her mother to take the meat and cook it and invite the old women of the camp to a feast in honour of her son-in-law, who was soon to keep them furnished with plenty of meat. Hake and his friend sought out all of the old warriors in the meantime and gained all the information they desired. Every evening Hake visited his intended wife, and many happy evenings they spent together. On the morning of the tenth day, the two friends left the village and turned their faces towards the west, where the camps of the enemy are more numerous than in any other direction. They were not mounted, and therefore travelled slowly, so it took about ten days of walking before they saw any signs of the enemy. The old warriors had told them of a thickly covered wooded creek, with the enemy's bounds. The old man said, that creek looks the ideal place to camp, but don't camp there by any means, because there is a ghost who haunts that creek, and anyone who camps there is disturbed all through the night. And besides, they never return, because the ghost is Wakan, a holy, and the enemies conquer the travellers every time. The friends had extra moccasins with them and one extra blanket, as it was late in the fall and the nights were very cold. They broke their camp early one morning and walked all day. Along towards the evening, the clouds, which had been threatening all day, hurriedly opened their doors, and down came the snowflakes, thick and fast. Just before it started snowing, the friends had noticed a dark line about two miles in advance of them. Chaske spoke to his friend and said, If this storm continues, we will be obliged to stay overnight at Coast Creek. As I noticed it's not far ahead of us, just before the storm set in. I noticed it also, said Hake. We might as well entertain a ghost all night, as to lie out on these open prairies and freeze to death. So they decided to run the risk and stay in the sheltering woods of the Coast Creek. When they got to the creek, it seemed as if they had stepped inside a big teepee. So thick was the bush and timber that the wind could not be felt at all. They hunted and found a place where the bush was very thick and the grass very tall. They quickly pulled the tops of the nearest willows together and, by intertwining the ends, soon made a cozy teepee in which to sleep. They started their fire and cooked some dry buffalo meat and buffalo tallow, and were just about to eat their supper 
when a figure of a man came slowly through the door and sat down near where he had entered. Hake, being the one who was doing the cooking, poured out some tea into his own cup and, putting a piece of pounded meat and marrow into a small plate, placed it before the stranger, saying, Eat, my friend, we are on the warpath and do not carry much of a variety of food with us, but I give you the best we have. The stranger drew the plate towards him and commenced eating ravenously. He soon finished his meal and handed the dish and the cup back. He had not uttered a word so far. Chaske then filled the pipe and handed it to the man. He smoked for a few minutes, took one last draw from the pipe and handed it back to Chaske. And then he said, Now my friends, I am not a living man but the wandering spirit of a once great warrior, one who was killed in these woods by the enemy whom you two brave young men are now seeking to make war upon. For years have I been roaming this woods in hope that I might find someone brave enough to stop and listen to me. But all who have camped here in the past have run away at my approach or fired guns or shot arrows at me. For such cowards as these I have always found a grave. They never return to their homes. Now I have found two brave men whom I can tell what I want done. And if you accomplish what I tell you to, you will return home with many horses and some scalps dangling from your belts. Just over this range of hills north of us, a large village is encamped for the winter. In that camp is the man who laid ambush and shot me, killing me before I could get a chance to defend myself. I want that man's scalp, because he has been the cause of my wanderings for a great many years. Had he killed me on the battlefield, my spirit would have at once joined my brothers in the happy hunting grounds. But being killed by a coward, my spirit is doomed to roam until I can find some brave man who will kill this coward and bring me his scalp. This is why I have tried every party who have camped here to listen to me. But as I have said before, they were all cowards. Now I ask you two brave young men, will you do this for me? We will, said the friends in one voice. Thank you, my boys. Now I know why you came here, and that one of you came to earn his feathers by killing an enemy before he would marry. But did you know that the girl you are to marry is my granddaughter, as I am the father of the great medicine man? In the morning there will pass by in plain sight of here a large party. They will chase the buffalo over on that flap. After they have passed, an old man leading a black horse and riding a white one will come by on the trail left by the hunting party. He will be driving about a hundred horses, which he will leave over in the next ravine. 
He will then proceed to the hunting grounds and get meat from the different hunters. After the hunters have all gone home, he will come last, singing the praises of the ones who gave him the meat. It is this man you must kill and scalp, as he is the one I want killed. Then take the white and black horse and each mount and go to the hunting grounds. There you will see two of the enemy riding about picking up empty shells. Kill and scalp these two and each take a scalp and come over to the high knoll and I will show you where the horses are. And as soon as you hand me the old man's scalp, I will disappear and you will see me no more. As soon as I disappear, it will start snowing. Do not be afraid as the snow will only cover your trail. But nevertheless, don't stop traveling for three days and nights, as these people will suspect that some of your tribe have done this, and they will follow you until you cross your own boundary lines. When morning came, the two friends sat in the thick bush and watched a large party pass by their hiding place. So near were they that the friends could hear them laughing and talking. After the hunting party had passed, as the spirit had told them, along came the old man, driving a large band of horses and leading a fine-looking coal-black horse. The horse the old man was riding was as white as snow. The friends crawled to a little bush-covered hill and watched the chase after the shooting had ceased. The friends knew it would not be long before the return of the party, so they crawled back to their camp and hurriedly ate some pounded meat and drank some cherry tea. Then they took down their robe and rolled it up and got everything in readiness for a hurried flight with the horses. Scarcely had they got everything in readiness when the party came by, singing their song of the chase. When they had all gone, the friends crawled down to the trail and lay waiting for the old man. Soon they heard him singing. Nearer and nearer came the sounds of the song until at last, at a bend in the road, the old man came into view. The two friends arose and advanced to meet him. On he came, still singing. No doubt he mistook them to be his own people. When he was very close to them, they each stepped on to either side of him, and before he could make an outcry, they pierced his cowardly old heart with two arrows. He had hardly touched the ground when they both struck him with their bows, winning first and second honors by striking an enemy after he has fallen. Chaske, having won first honors, asked his friend to perform the scalping deed, which he did, and wanting to be sure that the spirit would get full revenge, took the whole scalp, years and all, and tied it to its belt. The buffalo beef which the old man had packed upon the black horse, they threw on top of the old man. 
Quickly mounting the two horses, they hastened out across the long flat towards the hunting grounds. When they came in sight of the grounds, they saw two men riding about from place to place. Chaske took after the one on the right, Hake the one on the left. When the two men saw these two strange men riding like the wind towards them, they turned their horses to retreat towards the hills. But the white and the black were the swiftest of the tribe's horses, and quickly overtook the two fleeing men. When the two boys came close to the enemy, they strung their arrows onto the bowstring and drove them through the two fleeing hunters. As they were falling, they tried to shoot, but being greatly exhausted, their bullets whistled harmlessly over the heads of the two friends. They then scalped the two enemies and took their guns and ammunition, also secured the two horses and started for the high knoll. When they arrived at the place, there stood the spirit. Hake presented him with the old man's scalp, and then the spirit showed them the large band of horses, and saying, Ride hard and long, disappeared, and was seen no more by any war parties as he was thus enabled to join his forefathers in the happy hunting grounds. The friends did as the spirit had told them. For three days and three nights they rode steadily. On the fourth morning they came into their own boundary. From there on they rode more slowly and let the band of horses rest and crop the tops of the long grasses. They would stop occasionally, and while one slept, the other kept watch. Thus they got fairly well rested before they came in sight of where their camp had stood before they had left. All that they could see of the once large village was a lone tent of the great medicine man. They rode up onto a high hill and farther on towards the east, they saw smoke from a great many teepees. They then knew that something had happened and that the village had moved away. My friend, said Chaske, I am afraid something has happened to the medicine man's lodge and rather than have you go there, I will go there alone and you follow the trail of our party and go on ahead with the horses. I will take the black and the white horses with me, and I will follow on later, after I have seen what the trouble is. Very well, my friend, I will do as you say, but I am afraid something has happened to Pretty Feather. Hake started on with the horses, driving them along the broad trail left by the hundreds of their people. Chaske made slowly towards the teepee, and stopping outside, stood and listened. Not a sound he could hear. The only living thing he saw was Pretty Feather's spotted horse, tied to the side of the tent. Then he knew that she must be dead. He rode off into the thick brush and tied his two horses securely 
Then he came back and entered the teepee. There, on a bed of robes, lay someone apparently dead. The body was wrapped in blankets and robes. These he carefully untied and unwound. Then he unwrapped the robes and blankets. And when he uncovered the face, he saw, as he had expected to, the face of his lost love, Pretty Feather. As he sat gazing on her beautiful young face, his heart ached for his poor friend. He himself had loved and lost this beautiful maiden. And now his friend, who had won her, would have to suffer the untold grief which he had suffered. What was that? Could it have been a slight quivering of the nostrils that he had seen? Or was it mad fancy playing a trick on him? Closer, he drew to her face, watching intently for another sign. There it was again, only this time it was a long, deep-drawn breath. He arose, got some water, and, taking a small stick, slowly forced open her mouth, and poured some water into it. Then he took some sage, dipped it into the water, and sprinkled a little on her head and face. There were many bags piled around the teepee, and thinking he might find some kind of medicine roots which he could use to revive her, he started opening them one after the other. He had opened three and was just about to open the fourth when a voice behind him asked, What are you looking for? Turning quickly, he saw Pretty Feather looking at him. Overjoyed, he cried, What can I do so that you can get up and ride to the village with me? My friend and I just returned with a large band of horses and two scouts. We saw this tent and recognized it. My friend wanted to come, but I would not let him, as I feared if he found anything had happened to you, he would do harm to himself. But now he would be anxious for my return. So if you could tell me what you need in order to revive you, I will get it, and we can then go to my friend in the village. At the foot of my bed you will find a piece of eagle fat. Build a fire and melt it for me. I will drink it, and then we can go. Shasuke quickly started a fire, got out the piece of fat, and melted it. She drank it at one draught, and was about to arise when she suddenly said, Roll me up quickly, and take the buffalo hair rope and tie it about my spotted horse's neck. Tie his tail in a knot and tie him to the door. Then run and hide behind the trees. There are two of the enemy coming this way. Chaske hurriedly obeyed her orders and had barely concealed himself behind the trees when there came into view two of the enemy. They saw the horse tied to the door of the deserted tent and knew that some dead person occupied the teepee. So, through respect for the dead, they turned out and started to go through the bush and trees, so as to not to pass the door. 
for it is considered a bad omen to pass by the door of a teepee occupied by a dead body while in the enemy's country. So, by making this detour, they traveled directly towards where Chaske was concealed behind the tree. Knowing that he would be discovered, and there being two of them, he knew the only chance he had was for him to kill one of them before they discovered him. Then, he stood a better chance against just the one at an even combat. On they came, little thinking that one of them would, in a few minutes, be with his forefathers. Chaske noiselessly slipped an arrow onto his bow, threw it into action, and took a deliberate aim at the smaller one's breast. A loud twang ran out, and the one he had aimed at threw up his arms and fell heavily forward, shot through the heart. Reloading quickly, Chaske stepped out from behind the tree. He could have easily killed the other man from his concealed position. But being a brave young man, he wanted to give his opponent a fair chance. The other had unslung his bow and a duel was then fought between the two lone combatants. They would spring from side to side like two great cats, then advance one or two steps and shoot an arrow, retreat a few steps, spring on to one side and fire again. The arrows whistled past their heads, tore up the earth beneath their feet, and occasionally one would hit its mark only to cause a flesh wound. Suddenly, the enemy aimed his bow and arrow and threw it upon the ground. His arrows were exhausted, and slowly folding his arms, he stood facing his opponent with a fearless smile upon his face, expecting the next moment to fall dead from an arrow from the bow of Chaske. But it was not to be so. Chaske was too honorable and noble to kill an unarmed man, and especially one who had put up such a brave fight as this man. Chaske advanced and picked up the empty man's bow. The toka, or enemy, drew from a scabbard at his belt a long bowie knife, and taking it by the point handed it, handle first, to Chaske. This signified surrender. Chaske scalped the dead Toka and motioned for his prisoner to follow him. In the meantime, Pretty Feather had gotten up and stood looking at the duel. When she heard the twang of the first arrow, she jumped up and cut a small slit in the tent from which she saw the whole proceedings. Knowing that one or both of them must be wounded, she hurriedly got water and medicine rooms, and when they came to the tent, she was prepared to dress their wounds. Chaske had an arrow through his shoulder and one through his hand. They were very painful but not dangerous. The prisoner had one through his leg, also one through the muscle of his left arm. Pretty Feather washed and dressed their wounds, 
and Chaske went back and brought the black and white horses, and mounting Pretty Feather upon the white horse, and the prisoner on her spotted one, the three soon rode into the village. And there was a great joy when it was known that Pretty Feather had come back to them again. Hake, who was in his tent grieving, was told that his friend had returned, and with him Pretty Feather. Hearing this good news, he went at once to the medicine man's tent, and found the medicine man busily dressing the wounds of his friend and a stranger. The old medicine man turned to Hake and said, Son-in-law, take your wife home with you. It was from grief at your absence that she went into a trance, and we, thinking she was dead, left her for such. Hadn't it been for your friend here, she would surely have been a corpse now. So take her and keep her with you always, and take as a present from me fifty of my best horses. Hake and his beautiful bride went home, where his adopted mother had a fine large tent put up for them. Presents of cooking utensils, horses, robes, and finely worked shawls and moccasins came from every direction. And last of all, Chaske gave as a present to his friend the Toka man whom he had taken as a prisoner. On presenting him with this gift, Chaske spoke thus, My friend, I present to you that you may have him as a servant to look after your large band of horses, this man with whom I fought a two hours duel, and had his arrows lasted longer, he would have probably conquered me. It is he who has given me the second hardest fight of my life. The hardest fight of my life was when I gave up Pretty Feather. You have them both. To the Toka, the enemy, be kind, and he will do your biddings. To Pretty Feather, be a good husband. So saying, Chaske left them, and true to his word, lived the remainder of his days a confirmed bachelor. That then is all we have time for in this week's episode. If you like the story, please do subscribe to the podcast. Leave a rating and a feedback. I'd love to hear from you. I will see you again next week. In the meantime, stay safe and take care. Goodbye.